I'm Hannah Foyer. And I'm Rebecca Hirsch. We're the online managing editors for The Black and White, and this is our coverage of the annual political discussion at Whitman. Panelists included the founder of the Millennial Action Project, Stephen Olikara, political analyst Mooney Jensen, op-ed columnist for the New York Times, David Leonhardt, editor for the Wall Street Journal, Aaron Zittner, professor of political science at George Washington University, Sarah Binder, and editorial director of the Washington Examiner, Hugo Gordon. The panel answered questions from moderators Catherine Sylvester and Daniel Harris, the president and vice president of the speech and debate team, as well as from captains of each team event and questions posed by the audience. The panel started out with a question posed by Sylvester about an issue close to home. The federal government shutdown. At 26 days, it is now the longest shutdown in U.S. history and has left about 800,000 federal government employees without pay. So, our question is, what has brought us to this point and what can we do to resolve these political differences? Dr. Bender started the discussion. To make deals in a polarized environment, there's no ideological sweet spot, right? You can't send the moderates in to talk to each other because there aren't any moderates. And when you have a situation like that, we have what we think of as a messaging war of which party is going to win the public to their side, and then which party then feels that the cost of refusing to compromise is too great, and they come to the table. Olikara thought that the shutdown was a symptom of a larger problem, the failure of our democracy. He believes the problem of polarization is systemic. It gets back to some of the issues that the professor was speaking to, and that is the worsening polarization within Congress. When you have a number of systemic reasons why we're not working together, a number of issues ranging from gerrymandering and the role of money in politics, that really makes political conflict profitable. Leonhardt explained that the politics of the shutdown make a compromise infeasible. Trump wants to fulfill his promise, and the Democrats don't want to set a precedent by giving in. What we've learned is the shutdown is almost impossible to win any policy concessions for either the Democrats or the Republicans in a shutdown. Because if you think about the incentives, if the other side agrees to give me something for shutting down the government, I'll just keep doing it every time. Serious political discussion didn't stop the panelists from cracking a few jokes. And I would consider myself roughly part of your generation. Uh, <laughs> we might have reached the point on this question where everything has been said, but not everyone has said it. So, <laughs> but I'll talk to anybody. I swore off predictions on November 8, 2016 at about 905. This level of toxicity common all over the world to very specific characteristics of the U.S. The discussion turned to what the panelists believe Congress should prioritize, especially with Democrats now in control of the House. Harris directed his question specifically to Mr. Leonhardt. Mr. Leonhardt, I'd like to know what approach you feel is best, not only for the Democratic Party, but also for the nation. 
I think the most important thing for the new Congress to do is actually the investigation part. Having said that, I also hope they will pass some bills where they can look for some areas of compromise, but I'm pretty skeptical that this Democratic Party and this Republican Party are going to come to agreement on some kind of big health care bill. Olikara said he thinks the investigation is important, but Congress also needs to focus on reforming the political process to improve legitimacy. There's real distrust and disenchantment with the way that politics works. And by the way, that is especially true for young people today. The majority of young people don't believe that politics will solve the problems that we face. And so it's very important that on the legislative side that we do have democracy reform. So we need to investigate, very important, but secondly, we have to reform our democracy so people actually believe in our political process again. Sylvester then asked about the growing divides in our country along socioeconomic, racial, and gendered lines. Zittner was quick to respond with an analogy. I think of uh, American society as a Rubik's Cube, and we've had some blue on the mostly red face and some white on the mostly orange face. Things have changed so that all the sides of the cube are now uniformly colored. Everything is lining up. Jensen, with her global reporting experience, explained that divisiveness is not a uniquely American phenomenon. You could be talking about many countries right now. Um, I think that the disconnect between voters and their politicians has become a worldwide phenomenon that has its own playbook. We're talking about Trump, obviously. We're talking about Bolsonaro. We're talking about Orban in Hungary, Erdogan in Turkey. Anybody who really can successfully play that game has a very good chance of winning. Sylvester and Harris wrapped up their questions and turned the mic over to other team members. Speech Captain Lindsay Kaiser asked whether the success of nationalist movements are a threat to democracy. Gordon doesn't think they are. No. <laughs> they are an expression of democracy, which is why they're elected. I, I don't think that when those people have elected their leaders, that's in itself a danger to democracy. Leonhardt disagreed. I do think they're a threat to democracy. Uh, and I, I would not think they were a threat to democracy if they were uh, duly elected people and duly elected politicians and they were passing extreme restrictions on immigration, for example. But changing the rules after you get power often is anti-democratic. And that's why I would answer your question, yes, they are a threat to democracy. Lastly, audience questions were posed to the panelists. One audience member asked the panelists for predictions for 2020. Leonhardt responded that he thinks many Democrats have an equal chance. In the end, I actually think um, who the Democratic nominee is is going to matter less to whether the Democrats win than a lot of people think now. I think re-election campaigns are more than anything referendum on the president. He also mentioned that multiple women running in 2020 will help make the electorate more aware of any sexism. One of the reasons I'm happy that multiple women are running are that when there's one woman in the race, often uh, we in media and voters uh, project things onto that candidate and we persuade ourselves that it's not sexism. Uh, is she likable? Uh, is she shrill? With multiple women in the race, I think it'll make it harder for that to happen. Right? If we're saying all four of these female candidates aren't likable, um, I think it's going to become pretty clear pretty quickly that it might not be about them. right?
The panel ended on an optimistic note, with Oli Kara stressing that bipartisan solutions to our problems are possible. All the populism that we're seeing can be channeled towards some real reform. I actually think that situation underscores the importance of all of our efforts, you know, for non-governmental organizations, for citizens to be sharing their voice and encouraging them to prioritize solutions over partisanship. But I believe real leaders will be able to see the commonality, this, the common purpose that's there, and actually encourage them to talk. And if they don't, don't do it automatically, it's on us to encourage them to do it. Well, I think that's a, been a very illuminating discussion. That's a good, good place to end. Um, so on behalf of the speech and debate team, we'd like to thank each and every one of our panelists for agreeing to come here this evening um, and to share their time uh, and their expertise with us. So let's give them one more enthusiastic round of applause.